Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Bacteria that helps turn sweat into electricity and plants that can grow without the need for sunlight. Now, there's some pretty amazing things happening all around us all the time, from bacteria that can produce electricity to biofilms and even to plants that can grow in the dark. But are there ways we can push the envelope and create new and innovative types of materials that rely on existing processes in nature just turned upside down? One of the simplest scientific principles that most people learn pretty early on is how plants turn carbon dioxide and sunlight into food, the process of photosynthesis. And it's a pretty amazing process at that. But is it possible to take that light part out of the equation? What if you grow a plant without any light? If you deprive plants of light, they can do some pretty weird things. Now, farmers make use of this in some pretty odd cases. Take, for example, forced rhubarb. Growing rhubarb by candlelight in the darkness underneath sheds or under floorboards. And they do this because then it changes the way in which this plant grows and it actually forces the plant to grow really fast, desperately searching for light and it makes the stems that much sweeter. Basically drops out all the chlorophyll and and stops trying to photosynthesize. And they use candlelight because they don't want to add as little light as possible to the mix. Anyway, rhubarb is one of those plants that does some pretty amazing things if you deprive it of light. But in general, we all appreciate that photosynthesis in the most basic form is light plus carbon dioxide equals food for the plant. Now, it's a bit more complicated than that, and this is a hard science podcast. So let's talk about it in a bit more detail. Now, with the idea of photosynthesis in mind, would it be better if there was some way that you could adapt or change this photosynthetic process, not by tricking the plant into growing desperately in search of light or bending towards light, but rather actually make use of really, really low light conditions without sunshine at all. And the motivation for this is pretty straightforward and something that researchers from University of California, Riverside and University of Delaware have been diving into, published in the journal Nature Food. Now, one of the main drivers here is the incredibly poor conversion rate of energy from sunlight into the energy for the plant. That's what researchers like Elizabeth Han, Sean Avera, Marcus Hover-Dunway, Andres Naveres, Dangli, Martha L, and others have been involved in researching. Now, their main concern is just how inefficient plants are at converting sunlight energy into energy for themselves. When you look at this number, it's really inefficient. It's around 1% of the energy found in sunlight ends up actually stored then into the plant. Now, for a natural mechanism that's really robust and hardy, 1% is amazing. But in terms of the world of modern science and equipment, 1% is nothing. Now, keep in mind that some of the dirtiest, wettest coal power plants that we burn are around 11% efficient, and that's really bad. A good solar cell in good sunlight conditions with non-dirty glass on top can average around 33%. That's pretty good. Nowhere near that 1% of the plants. So is there a way to actually make the plants just more efficient? And the researchers try to think about a way to change the photosynthetic process itself. Photosynthesis as we know it turns the water and the carbon dioxide 
and the energy into the plant biomass, uh, the sugar. It basically creates the sugars that it needs to survive. Now, if you were to change this biological photosynthesis and make a new artificial form of photosynthesis, could you get away from the need for sunlight at all? And that's what the researchers sort of pose as a thought experiment. They used a two-step electrocatalytic process. So instead of using, well, sunlight to do this process, they instead used the sunlight more directly to create electricity and then used electricity to drive an electrocatalytic process. Now, this converts carbon dioxide, electricity and water into acetate, the main component of vinegar. And food producing organisms then consume the acetate in the dark to then grow. Now, if you used solar panels in the first place to generate the electricity, to power the electrolysis, you basically end up with some kind of quasi-electric system merged with a biganic system and one with organic chemistry and inorganic chemistry all thrown into the mix. But if you looked at it and evaluated it purely from the perspective of how efficiently are we using sunlight, it is theoretically 18 times more efficient than waiting for the plant to convert that sunlight into energy. Just covering that area with solar panel, harvesting that electricity, and then using that electricity in electrocatalytic process, it's probably a lot more efficient. Now, you need to do a little bit of work to make it work, and you know, obviously, of course, it doesn't work for all foods, and some work better than others. But the idea was formed by Jingerson and others because they wanted to see of new ways that they could make food without the normal limits imposed by biological synthesis. Now, obviously, you have to find a way to make this all work. One of the key components of the system is an electrolyzer. This is designed to help support the growth of the food producing organisms. Electrolyzers are devices that use electricity to convert raw materials like what carbon dioxide into useful molecules and products. And in this case, they're using it to produce acetate. They increase the amount of acetate um, when, while the amount of salt was decreased, resulting in pretty much the highest amount of acetate they've ever been commercially produced inside of a laboratory, which is pretty cool. It's a CO2 process, so it's still taking CO2 out of the air, much in the same way as a plant does. And it's still creating the biomass that we like from plants, just in a really novel and strange way. Now, it couldn't be used for all types of food, but it still applies to a wide range of different food types that could be grown in the dark directly in this acetate-rich electrolyzer mix. Obviously, you're not going to grow even forced rhubarb in this situation. You're not talking about growing nice broccoli or corn or anything like that. You're probably more likely growing green algae, yeast, fungal mycelium that can produce mushrooms. Now, okay, these are all things that, you know, we don't plant in large fields, but we do use biomass for, and we could grow them to support biomass production in a number of ways, just in entirely different areas than you would for normally farmland. So yeah, what we're talking about here is not going to replace large fields today, but it's an interesting application of this, especially when producing algae in this case, in this technology is four times more efficient than growing it or trying to grow it photosynthetically. Yeast production, and trust me, a lot of you love yeast. If you bake bread or drink beer or many other types of fermented foods, you will love things like yeast, and that is one of the most efficient, around 18 times more. 
than how it's normally grown, which is using sugars extracted from corn. Now, if you were to apply it to, say, some different types of crops, perhaps cowpea, tomato, tobacco, rice, canola, and green pea, they're all investigated if they're able to utilize the carbon created by the acetate when they were cultivated in the dark in lieu of the photosynthetic process. And they found that a wide range of crops could take up that acetate we provided and build it into the building blocks they needed to grow and thrive. Now, obviously, it doesn't work with the run-of-the-mill breed varieties that you would have available. But with a little bit of genetic engineering, you could make it work. And it would be a pretty interesting way to boost crop yields by splicing this ability in to a number of different available varieties already. Now, of course, if you compare it to growing food simply in a nice open field, this is way more complicated than it needs to be. But if you compare it to somewhere where maybe you have some constraints on available space and available light, maybe you're in a spaceship like NASA's Deep Space Food Challenge, where this paper was actually submitted to. Things like this actually really help change the game because it shows that you can grow food not necessarily in the ideal field environment, but actually in some pretty strange and novel ways, if you apply a bit of care. It's not science fiction, we can do it today. Maybe it needs a bit more work to sort out the bugs, so to speak. But it's not impossible to grow food without the need for actually direct sunlight. Now, of course, how practical this is for large crops remains to be seen. But if it's anything to try and boost the actual efficiency of crops today or provide alternative food sources, that's pretty handy. And if it helps grow food in places that could, food couldn't be grown before as well, that's also pretty handy. Now, these things are essential for things like long-term crewed missions to space, but and even in just trying to expand the way in which algae or other biomass could be produced. This is certainly incredibly efficient ways to produce that. And as we look for more biosolutions and bio-based products, growing large feedstocks of things like algae is incredibly important for those burgeoning industries as well. So something to keep in mind that it's possible to do photosynthesis or at least artificial photosynthesis without light itself. And it may even offer benefits of being more efficient for making all of that yeast that we perhaps like in our food and drinks. Now, this research was published in the journal Nature Food. Lead author was Elizabeth Han, along with Vera Harland and others. Now that's growing plants in the dark, or rather without the need for sunlight. But what about another incredible way to make things run themselves, seemingly, or pull energy out of thin air? Not quite thin air is what researchers from University of Massachusetts Amherst have been diving into, including the author of this paper, Xiaoming Liu. Now, what these researchers were studying, in which they published in the journal Nature Communications, is a pretty amazing little biofilm that they've engineered to harvest the energy present in evaporation and convert that energy directly into electricity. Now, okay, this is pretty crazy to think about, but biofilms, these 
thin layer of bacteria cells about the thickness of a sheet of paper are pretty incredibly strong and a real annoyance for a lot of people designing medical devices or trying to keep people safe because the build-up of biofilms on medical devices and water treatment and so on is a huge scourge can create huge amounts of illness and carry disease but biofilms just structurally are, are pretty incredible things and if you're trying to make some medical devices and sensors then the biggest challenge you always run into is how you power the damn thing so if biofilms are inevitable and keep happening why not find a way to make them work for you and in this case that's what the researchers used they engineered a version of the bacteria geobacter sulfuroducens or g sulfuroducens and this bacteria is known to produce electricity and it's often been used in prior studies and work to produce microbial batteries just to power electrical devices. Now, the thing is, batteries like that, at least in the prior research, have shown that you really need to feed for them and care for them, grow and nurture that bacteria, the G-self-reducents, because you've got to keep them constantly supplied with a nice steady diet for them to keep producing you electricity. So they're great at making electricity as long as the conditions are right. And sometimes maintaining those conditions actually requires more electricity than they can generate for you, making them not really a good source of energy. But if you found a way to make them a bit less needy or put them into a scenario which is more beneficial to them, then maybe they could be made to work better. And that's what the researchers did by creating this biofilm. And it can supply as much or if not more energy than a comparable size battery and works continuously because at its core the bacteria in it are dead and because the bacteria in it are dead well then they don't need to be fed now obviously having things that don't need feeding is much more efficient than things that do and so that is obviously ideal sucks for the bacteria but in this instance it was a pretty efficient idea which is one of the reasons why Derek Lovely, a professor in microbiology at UMass Amherst, came up with it as they were contributed on this paper. As he says, we've simplified the process of generating electricity by radically cutting back on the amount of processing needed. And they basically sustainably grow the cells in the biofilm, and then you then use the amalgamation of all these cells, which means they're basically cutting down on how much energy you need to supply in, and it makes everything way, way simpler. Now, what gives this mode of energy that the things use as a feed source is instead of food or a nice environment, is actually the moisture on your skin. And we talked in our previous story about making the best use of what's around us. And moisture on our skin is an example of this. Now, actually, the sun is part of the process here, helping out in the evaporation. The sun and the heat of our bodies are causing moisture in our skin to evaporate. And, well, if there was a way to harness and capture this, that would be way more useful because if you're talking about a biosensor or a biodevice, they're generally going to be on your body or on your skin and your skin is either exposed to the sunlight and thus causing some water to be evaporated, moisture evaporated, or heat from your body is also helping this happen as well. This is why we sweat and why we cool down. It's incredibly important for us. But if we find a way to make it work for the sensor, then that's pretty neat. It's a huge untapped source of energy. Basically, since our skin is almost always having some form of sweat on it, well, that means that biofilm can actually get its food it needs and convert that energy 
through the evaporation process. And okay, we're not talking huge amounts of kilowatts here, but enough to power some small wearable electronics. Because these kind of biosensors and wearable electronics always need some kind of battery. But imagine if you're working out and all that sweat that you're building up is powering your Fitbit. Well, that's actually a pretty efficient use of the process. Now, the way in which this works is that the G-sulfuridescence grows in colonies that look like thin mats, these biofilm layers, and each of these individual microbes connects to its neighbors through a series of natural interconnecting nanowires. If you like harvest this structural mat and then use a laser to etch some circuits into these mats of, of the bacteria, uh, you can make a pretty interesting film. Once those films are then etched again, they can be squished and sandwiched between electrodes and then sealed into a soft, sticky, breathable polymer. All of that to say is you can make a cool patch and apply that directly into your skin. The structure of that patch was once defined by a bacteria that's dead and lasered and cut into shape and etched and applied with copper. But this makes like an incredibly tiny battery that you can plug in by applying it to your body and use it to power really small devices. Now, if you increase the amount of films and make it into more useful amounts of power that it can generate, then this becomes a pretty nifty way to powerable wearable electronics or bio devices. But until then, it's still got a long way to go. But in principle, this is a cool way of converting moisture, sweat, into what could be used to power really small wearable electronics by cleverly using the structure of some bacteria and its techniques to help us generate electricity more efficiently for really small devices. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From growing plants without sunlight with a modified artificial form of photosynthesis to making sweat and bacteria work together to produce electricity. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.